This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Texas raised hunting products, the scent gods. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callings Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Have a great opportunity this morning to sit out with a very dear friend of mine, Mr. Greg Simons with Wildlife Systems. Greg, uh, I know with the conversation somewhere during the time frame that we're together this morning, Hank is going to come up. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Did I ever tell you about Hank? <laughs> you know what you did, but I do want to cover Hank a little bit later on in the show. I'd love for, to. for those of you who don't know who Hank is, and I can't imagine there anybody being in the world who enjoys mule deer that has not by this stage either seen photographs of Hank or, or heard Greg's story. But Greg, we're in to an interesting time. Now, your background is a wildlife biologist, among other things, but you also have, have been outfitting hunts since 1987, I think That's it is. Mm-hmm. And had a lot of experience in a lot of different ways, too, including with the Texas Wildlife Association, where you served on the board for a long time, and then you were president of, of, the, of the association, and now you're the president of the TWA Foundation as well, too. So I want to come back to some of those things a little bit, but you've had to deal real strong with COVID, particularly here in Texas. We, through DSC, hear a lot of things about what's going on in other parts of the world. But most of your hunts, I think, are in the state of Texas now, or maybe adjoining states, but primarily Texas. How has COVID, this thing that we're dealing with, affected you as an outfitter and maybe from a perspective, too, as a hunter and the hunters that you visit with? Right. No, great, great question. Um, you know, undoubtedly, COVID-19 has 
presented more challenges and created um, a different world to do business in uh, this year than than what we've ever dealt with in the other 33 years of being in business. Uh, post 911, um, 9/11 presented its own challenges. A lot of people canceled trips uh, for a few months uh, after 9/11 and. Um, 2009 was a very difficult uh, year to be in the business. Uh, late 08 is when stock market tanked and price accrued went from 140 to, to 40. And 2009 was just a very challenging year due to the economic circumstances and the and the hunting markets that uh, that just weren't spending much money that year. But this year is uh, it's 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 riding its own. Not just its own chapter, but it's writing its own book in in, in this industry. Um, April was a particularly uh, difficult month for us. We had um, between March fifteenth and the end of April, we had roughly a hundred hunters on the books at that time, for coming in from twelve different states. So I spent um, about a six week period. Um, pretty much doing nothing but talking on the phone, trying to establish contingency plans on, uh, you know, how we could either salvage um, the calendar in the in the in the the book of business that we had to work with during that six week period, or, you know, figure out a contingency plan. And those plans often changed weekly because you know information right. was changing weekly and. Uh, so we were able to work through that uh, uh, favorably, I think. We kept uh, about half that business on the books during the original dates. Uh, some of it we moved into some other areas of the calendar, which creates its own challenges and even problems. And, uh, and then we lost a little bit of that. We lost maybe 10% of that altogether. That We just couldn't reconcile a, a contingency plan. And... Uh, that's been the downside of it from a flip side um, for people that are in the business here in the States, uh, in our case here in Texas, um, virtually all the international hunting trips have been canceled this year. And so you have a lot of hunters that had trips planned that still have an appetite to want to do something this year. So that that market, um, it represents a, a market where there's some shift. And, and, and that shift, a lot of it um, is, is coming our way. We're getting, we're getting lots of calls and emails, people wanting to know what they can do this summer or this fall because their trips have been canceled. So our bookings over the last 60 days have been busier than they've ever been during the summer. Summer's generally pretty dormant as right, far as right. sales. And, but, uh, but our sales over the last 60 days have been busier than they've ever been during the summer. So... Um, right now, um, the opportunities that COVID has created for folks like us uh, has been uh, uniquely uh, good. It's, it's unfortunately come at the cost of some of our you know, colleagues that are operating in, in other countries, and that's very unfortunate. But, uh, but at the same time, it's good to see that those hunters still have an appetite to want to go, go do something somewhere else and uh, during this this crazy time that we're dealing with obviously some of this is going to continue into the fall we're we're this probably we're looking at mid-august but uh 
and I know I've talked with some of the uh, Canadian outfitters, and essentially they're not going to have any hunts this year either. Uh, talk with uh, a gentleman with the uh, uh, Guiding Outfitters Association of British Columbia, Scott Ellis, and he said it looked like most of Canada is going to be closed at least until the end of the year. So there may be even more people. What I'm trying to say is that we'll probably be calling when they start realizing that, hey, I'm not going to get to go on that moose hunt this year. I'm not going to get to go on maybe even a sheep hunt or uh, certainly there's a, and it may see a somewhat of resurgence, hopefully in some of the whitetail hunt because a lot of guys have been going to Canada and looks like this year, very possibly they not, may not be able to do that Canadian trip. Right. Yeah. No, it, uh, you know, it's, unfortunately the crystal ball is is very murky it's just hard i think for (laughs) anybody to uh project what things might look like you know next month or next year but i agree i think that uh, we're starting to realize that the the hangover effect of of this whole covid matter is is gonna have a longer life than what i think we thought a few months ago and so yeah i suspect moving into next year there's going to be similar circumstances that uh, that we'll be seeing with uh you know even even if there's not uh, a moratorium on international uh, travel uh even if hunters are allowed to uh, kind of get back into that that convenient routine of traveling international internationally they may not feel comfortable doing it and so i i, I suspect you're right i think that this hangover effect will go well into next year and uh, you know and if we're looking at silver linings from from some of this um you know a lot of international hunters um in recent years have kind of fallen into a pattern where they hadn't been doing much back home and uh they do most of their hunting you know out of this country so the opportunity for them to reconnect with their roots their hunting roots and and hunt you know whitetail deer or 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 whatever it may be uh it may create a a rekindle um you know, a, um, uh, an appetite for them to, to do, do more right here in our, in our own country moving forward. And, and um, so I think there, there are indeed some silver linings here, uh, as there are with many challenges in life. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper on some, yes, sir, exactly. some circumstances, and this is certainly one of them. But there's, there's some upsides that are, that are coming out of this. Not too terribly long ago, I hunted down on some of the lower country that you have for there. I was hunting for Seminole Horn Orcs. But we had a gentleman in camp who was scheduled to go to Africa, and he couldn't go, and he came down and hunted Nilgai with us. And one of the things that he was excited about was that, hey, I'm not going to get to go to Africa this year, and I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. But once he got down there and started hunting the Nilgai and saw some of the other species, and he been to Africa before and so he goes man this is just as nice as going to Africa without the hassle and whatever I shoot I don't have to worry about paying a huge amount of money to get back home as far as <clears throat> for skins and horns and I can bring the meat home with me right yeah no exactly yeah that was that was Monty Martin and yes. uh and I've had some some great discussions with Monty since the uh, the hunt. Indeed, uh, just just what you mentioned, uh, he has shared with me that it, uh, it it gave him an opportunity to to, to see that uh, hey, there's some there's some big areas in Texas that have big breeding herds and uh, that, that provide a you know a challenging hunt and, um, and and an opportunity to do some stuff right here 
in our own backyard without having to travel across the pond to enjoy that kind of hunting. Are, excuse me, are you seeing people, are you having people call and says, hey, I want to come down and hunt Nilgai or some of the other animals that we have here for the fun of hunting, of course, as well, too, but also because of the meat? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we, we've, we've been seeing in recent years more emphasis being placed on hunting for meat. Uh, it seemed like there were many years there that uh, the majority of our hunters had zero interest in taking any of their meat back they wanted to donate it and of course there were plenty of places that we can uh yeah particularly some meat of that to. meat was yeah. extremely good to eat sure too, yeah so. and uh but the soup kitchens and, and meals on wheels and meals for the elderly and those kind of they you know, all venues benefited, benefited. but uh but in recent years we're not seeing as much of that yeah. it's it, not only are they wanting to take um some of their meat back but they're wanting to take as much as they possibly can and some of them are you know, inquiring a bit more now, how many does can I shoot when I'm down there on that right. whitetail hunt? And so, indeed, there is more value that we're seeing from some of these hunters these days uh, through meat. You know, what some people refer to as a locavore movement, right. uh, these kind of a, a, an emerging foodie group that places value on locally grown organic foods, and they want to be part of the process of collecting those foods as, as, as well. So that locavore movement is one of the it's one of the the bright spots in terms of hunter recruitment and, and hopefully hunter retention too uh, that uh, that we're seeing these days one of the <laughs> one of the really um, unique things that we did see in early may and this is i think a short-lived little market but uh, but it relates to what we're talking about with food here there was a back when it became you know newsworthy uh, in 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 late April and early May that we might have a shortage in beef here in the country. Yes. We had a number of calls in emails, people wanting to know what do you have to hunt that is good to eat and is big and is not very pricey. Well, Nilgai antelope fall into that bucket real real nice. So we sold several Nilgai hunts to, to people that were wanting to fill their their freezer because they felt like there could be a, a shortage in, in beef. So uh, so again, just in um, uh, that 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 little market right there, uh, I think is just short lived. But uh, but it's another another. I don't know because I think what's going to happen there is those folks are going to eat that meat. They're going to realize how number one, it's more nutritious. It tastes every bit as good, if not better. And it was a lot of fun to go out and harvest that. So I think once they start that, I got a feeling that those folks will keep coming back for no other reason yeah, than no, for I, the hunt I, and the meat. I and, do. And yeah, maybe if they're, everything works out like we kind of hope it does, they'll invite their kids, their neighbors over and go, oh my God, this is absolutely fantastic. Right. Come from? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I guess what I mean by the short lived part of that is. Uh, this this notion that we were going to have shortage oh, of exactly food. right it's, it's already kind of w- w- went away right. so that precipitous may <laughs> may not be there and uh, which which is good we need we need you know cattle ranchers to do well in, in this world so that you know they can t- continue to have a profitable operation but uh, but you're right that's that's it's one of the upsides once some of these people get a taste of uh, you know some of these game mates such as Neil Guy it, uh, they get sold on it pretty quick. I was visiting with, with the Ruger folks a couple of days ago, and Ruger sales on firearms has gone out 
beyond everything. Uh, most of the other gun companies are experiencing extremely successful years. Uh, and one of the things that Ruger said is their stock went went to the highest level it's ever done. Uh, and they have sold so many guns. One of the things that they seem to think is that once these people now have these guns, they're going to go, I really want to go out and use these guns. And, and going back to that local board thing is that, uh, you know, maybe I ought to get into hunting. And in some instances, we've already seen a great increase in fishing licenses. And the hunting licenses have kind of followed, even though uh, mostly it was just turkey hunting when all this was going on. But right. I think those same folks and more as we get into the fall are going to go, man, I've got a rifle now. And guess what? we got all these great public hunting areas and or we've got... X number of, of does that you know people are going to be able to take off at some of these places, perhaps at a much reduced price compared to a, a total you know for one of the big buck type hunts. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that's going to kind of follow through. I think we're going to see, from what I can kind of garner from several different places, that there may be an increase in interest again uh, in hunting per se more for meat than for size of the antlers. Right. Yeah, and it's a. Again, another example of how um, there will likely be other positive things come out of this whole COVID experience. But uh, but yeah, I think it's a natural progression that some folks that ordinarily wouldn't have guns that that now have guns and uh, and want to make uh, meaningful use out of them and look at that as a as a as a, a tool that that they now have that perhaps spurs that interest to go to the field and, and, and go exactly. hunting or target shooting. Exactly. And, uh, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that, maybe a, even a whole lot more. And we that. need it, you know, based we on... We do. We really you know, do. What the, I, to the me, I, I'm all for getting hunters out in the field. I'm all for getting young hunters out in the field. But I'm also getting for getting grandma and grandpa out in the field as well, too, regardless of what the age is. Right, yeah. Now, it's, uh, I've been working on a book for... Ever. No, and, uh, I, that's where I was going to get with some of this right here since you yeah, brought it up. I've, Tell me about the book that you've been working on because it's based upon years of experience. It's not theory. It is, this is, it, there may be some theory involved, but it is based upon real life things that, have, that happen and things that you've lived through in terms of being in the wildlife business. Right. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm finally on, on the last chapter and, and, uh, your comment just a few minutes ago spurred me to think about that. This, the part of this chapter I'm working on is discussing basically the the three R's that interact with this, and that's recruitment, retention, and, and reactivation. And so when we start talking about uh, you know some of the some of the older generation uh, that have cycled out of hunting, um, if we can if we can create uh, Ways to you know re-energize their interests to reactivate their participation in hunting. That's 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 certainly a meaningful thing that we need to be looking at. And I and I think that again some of that gets back to what we're talking about with this this COVID deal. Uh, but yeah, the book project uh, actually started on it uh, about ten years ago, <laughs> and uh, when we were on a family vacation to Hawaii, I'm not one to spend much time down on the beach so I spent quite a bit of time working on this book and probably wrote about 10,000 words when I was in in Hawaii that that year and then the next two summers I went to Zimbabwe hunting 
and uh, primarily uh, leopard hunting. And so I had quite a bit of extra a lot time. Of time. <laughs> and uh, so during both of those summers, I probably wrote another ten to fifteen thousand words on each of those trips. So I, I was at that point up to pretty close to forty thousand words, and. Uh, about halfway through the book project, and then I became an officer in, in, in TWA, and that sucked all my extra time out for the, for the next six years. <laughs> thank so, you, thank you, thank you for all your time there. So I did uh, no work on the book for a six, you know, a six or seven year period, and then a few years ago, when we were going on vacation to um, to uh, Costa Rica. Um, yeah, I decided that uh, I really need to get back on this book project. But by then, I also recognized that a couple of things had happened. One is my writing style had changed a bit. And two, there was a lot of water that had already went, went under the bridge. And so my perspective on some things were, were quite different. So right, I decided right. just to, to start over altogether, which is what I did. And that's been about two years ago now. And um, and I'm 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 really close to wrapping it up. I, I'll probably wrap up the first draft of the manuscript uh, in the next week, and oh, uh, it'll be right at eighty thousand words, and uh, and then I'll have it pro- professionally edited after that. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a book uh, that's titled The Hunting Business, and um, and it's 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 really kind of a deep dive, deep look at um, all the different facets of the hunting business from you know, risk management to marketing to general business practices such as uh, accounting, uh, bookkeeping, uh, you know, just the, the, the general business side of, of things. Uh, and then, um, you know, some other chapters talking about um, harvest photography and uh, uh, the culinary side of the business. Um, looking at the roles that that NGOs play in the hunting business uh, there's about 22 chapters all together so it's a it's a pretty thorough look at at the hunting business and and it's primarily intended to to serve as just kind of my my signature on on my career in the hunting business and uh, you've been quite successful yeah I appreciate that it's, it's been full in of a lot of ways I'm, I'm sure financially <laughs> to some extent but I mean from the other side of all the people that you've met and hunted with and all the families that you've dealt with over the years I have I have a question with you along those lines and I've got two I want to follow up with that is in the hunting business what percentage of the business is people and people management and what percentage is wildlife and wildlife management yeah, it's it's it, it all it all eventually circles back to people right. and uh, all of it and uh, you know the idea that we live in this um, you know this this world of, of Eden is really a myth and uh, so when it comes to the conservation side of of hunting uh, it's it's it, it it all circles back to to people in in some fashion. Uh, but from a, just a pure business standpoint, uh, a lot of it is it's tied to uh, to people. Uh, the you know the the, the marketing, the uh, the admin side of it, um, the prep that goes into these properties, getting ready for the hunting season, uh, the staff that you rely on to to pull these hunts off. You know, out in the field, whether it be guides or chefs or you know technicians that are out. Uh, uh, filling feeders or, or doing some uh, maintenance work. Uh, 
So it, it, it all eventually circles back to, to people and, and, and having good people in any business is it's, it's, that's the key ingredient to, uh, to having a, a successful business. Um, and, and we've been very fortunate to, to over the last 33 years accrue a team of folks that I'm very proud of that, should that, be. that, that have done a, a good job for us and that we can rely on and, and, uh, and they all have their own story and, and, and bring um, kind of their unique um, traits and unique skill sets to the table. And, and it creates a, you know, a, an interesting blend. And, uh, but again, it, it, it all gets, it all circles back to people back, eventually. It does come back to people. With that said, I know that you mentioned Zimbabwe. And I know you're on a quest to one of these days put a leopard in a leopard tree that you have there at your <laughs> facility kind of if you were going to describe what to you is a good guide how would you describe what what attributes would you give that guy or that that man or woman either one because i've I've learned it with yeah. some ladies that as far as i'm concerned were yeah. some of the best guys i've ever been with yeah. I'll, I'll answer that in two ways um from my perspective as the proprietor um what I'm looking for in in terms of who can potentially make a, a good guide is is someone that has um, an upbeat personality that's a um, very positive, um, high energy kind of personality uh, that wears a smile on his face daily and regularly, and uh, and is open minded. Um, those few little key ingredients are very important. Uh, now, if they bring to the table, you know, a lifetime of, of hunting experience, that that's great. But um, but I would rather take someone that has the right demeanor and the right personality traits and fill in around that than to have someone that, that brings the rest of those traits to the table but doesn't have the right attitude about things. And so... Uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that, that, that we look for is um, that we place a lot of emphasis on is, uh, is attitude, demeanor, um, the ability to interact well with, with, with other people, uh, to be a team player, to, to check their ego at the door when it's necessary. And because uh, a lot of guides tend to, you know, tend to be alpha personalities that have, have big, big egos. So from a proprietor standpoint, uh, that's kind of what, what I'm looking for much of the time. Uh, as far as from a hunting standpoint, uh, you know, I, I, I do want someone that, uh, that is going to be confident and uh, that I feel like is, um, is not only trying to put me on an animal that is, um, is on the bucket list, but, but is looking out for, for my best interest on a daily basis, you know, keeping me safe. Uh, making sure that, um, that 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 my needs are being taken care of, and and uh, but uh, the you know the, the hunting experience, and I've I've hunted with a with a lot of a lot of different guides and professional hunters over the years, and and those that are on up in years that have done a lot of hunting, it's impressive to see that craft, but um, but for me personally, um, I want that that daily interaction to feel special and uh and to be fun and fresh and to not feel like i'm with someone that's just going through the motions and 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 has has gone has gotten drawn into a monotony type of 
of, 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 of world and uh, where it's no longer fun for them, you know, at that point. Because it's, if it's not fun for them, it's, it's sometimes not going to be fun for the client too. So that, you know, that, that fresh, upbeat personality, um, someone that's wanting to make it an educational experience, I really enjoy that. And I think some of that's because my, my natural resource background professionally, but, uh, but I just think that the, that education side is, is so um, interesting and, and is so important because it's important that people have a you know a, an understanding of our natural world and how ecology and management um, takes place to ensure the sustainability of, of, of those natural resources. So that's that's kind of what what what, what I'm looking for. <laughs> I kind of understand that. I used to go to Namibia with Fred Burchell, and Fred and his wife, Miss Laura, and I would get in a vehicle, and I'd be there for a week to 10 days. And he was one of the most fantastic naturalists I've ever been around. He knew very much everything seemingly about uh, the vegetation, the animals, the, the geology, the, the archaeology, the, 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 all the different tribes that were in there. The guy was just absolutely fantastic. I was totally enthralled with him all the mm-hmm. time. And I'd be there for a week or 10 days, and sometimes I'd only shoot one or two animals, you know. And, and uh, But it was just such a pleasure to be around him, mm-hmm. to, to learn. And me, like like you, I'm a wildlife biologist as well, too. So I was interested in all the plants. I was interested in the animals. I was interested in the uh, relationship between everything that was there. And so I think that really, to me, made him one of the best guides, if you will, mm-hmm. professional hunters I've ever been around. And I've been around, like you, several that I just absolutely to this day thank the world of. Throw another question at you along. You you deal with clients all the time. What to you it would is kind of the ideal client when it comes to somebody coming to hunt with you. What what kind of person do you do you hope whoever shows up will be? <laughs> Now that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> the one whose check will clear. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, it's a great question. And, and I think that, um, again, guides have a tendency to fall into this monotonous world where they're you know, going through the motions and, um, and they're having the same you know, kind of discussions with clients as they move through the course of the, of the season or the year. So I think um, that that guides and outfitters have a tendency to have a great uh, deal of appreciation for those that look at the hunt in a very celebratory fashion. I was visiting with a taxidermist yesterday down in South Texas that, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, the idea that, that, that these days there doesn't seem to be the level of celebration tied to the harvest and the level of celebration that tends to kind of define the way the camp feels that we once had. And, um, and, 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 and so with that in mind, I think it's very refreshing when you see um, the appreciation, the celebration, the fun side of folks really um, not, just, not just checking off a box because they took another nice white-tailed deer or pronghorn antelope, but um, 
but the, the, the box is much bigger in that it's full of other goodies that are tied to the whole experience. And uh, so when you see that uh, with, with certain clients, it, uh, to me it just kind of it, uh, it rekindles um, those, uh, that passion that, that generally has driven people to get into this business in the, in the first place is a passion for outdoors and a passion for affiliating with you know people of similar interests you know within the hunting community and uh but i would i would say that you know it's uh uh, i I really appreciate um you know hunters that that are highly skilled on the rifle range and understand their equipment and they're good technicians and they uh, that's all part of it and i appreciate that but uh, but i would say just seeing enthusiasm and celebration is that's the client that uh, that I enjoy spending time around more than you know some of the others. What do you mean by celebration? You know, just the the whole the high fives and the hugging and um, you know the, the the stories that go along with 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 sitting around the campfire and and uh, just um, a. Um, you know a fun expression of 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 basically sharing what you're getting out of the hunt and uh you know it's um i i think there's a tendency anymore for once we've taken an animal and we bring it into camp you know uh, people generally are you know congratulating and what have you and then it's done it uh and it just seemed like at one time through the course of the whole hunt, uh, people were reliving the, the, the animal that they took a couple of days earlier or uh, continuing to want to go back out into the skinning shed and look at those antlers one more time. <laughs> Get and, up uh, at midnight when you were going to bed at 10 o'clock and then go back out to the skinning shed and look at the animal kind of thing. And right. I catch myself doing that a lot. I'll get up three or four times during the night and go, oh my God, I got to go back and look at it's, it. It's kind, of, it's kind of likened to when, you know, when we were kids at Christmas time, the, the night before Christmas, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't go to sleep because you were looking forward to that next day so much and uh which um and and certainly there's still there's still a lot of that degree of of um of interest and enthusiasm for the hunt but i think that some of that some of that celebratory um character is just not quite as pronounced as it as it once was I think you're right. I mean, to me, I, I love I love being in camp with hunters to begin with, uh, and particularly hunters that that to me hunt for the right reasons, and that means not having a checklist that you're going off of that you're working on as far as animals being taken. To has an appreciation of the habitat that they're hunting in, has an appreciation for the people that they're dealing with, who has an appreciation for the food. And that's one thing I want to compliment you on is I have been in your camps and I've never lost weight. It didn't make a darn bit of difference how hard we hunted, how far we walked. When it was all said and done, when the hunt was over with, I'd gain five pounds. Well, as you can say, I have two. (laughs) Well, you too. And I think think your appreciation for food comes from the 
fact that you two are a very excellent cook, by golly. Uh, I, I usually don't use the term chef very often, but, you know, at the same time, the, the guys that you have, I've had the great fortune of hunting in, in camps that you've had several different uh, chefs in camp. Mm-hmm. And every one of them was just, I, I, I wouldn't rate one higher than the other. They're all at that upper highest level that they could be as far as food's concerned. And as far as uh, of, of being there to, to visit with the hunters as well, too. Uh, right. Yeah, food service is such a huge part of the of the, uh, of the camp and the hunting experience. And, uh, and we've been fortunate, uh, again, over the years to... To, uh, to to have some some really great um, talented folks in the kitchen uh, that that, uh, that 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 help keep everybody well fed and, and uh, you know and it's we were talking about uh, you know game meats just a little while ago it, again it seemed like for years there we we, we didn't have um, a regular request for the chef to you know prepare a deer heart that was taken you know that right. day or to to, to cook uh, some of the catch of the day, so to speak, we see that a lot now, and uh, and, really? and, and I think some of that ties back to um, hunters these days, um, more hunters these days having a, a bit more of appreciation and valuing the the meat part of the. To of me, the hunt. that's part of the celebration of the hunt, if mm-hmm. you will. A- absolutely, no, I th- I agree, and and um, and to me, it's 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 a bit of a spiritual part of the, it is. the whole it experience is. is 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 well so but uh but no the 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 food service is a it's a um it's a big part of the uh the camp experience we're doing a a virtual in-service uh training this year as opposed to um to um having an in-person uh, yeah in-service which i've had been able to attend and had just an absolutely fantastic time at. we'll Thank have you. you there next year so. i'm ready to come anytime <laughs> but yeah i've been uh kind of parsing out some of the material that we use uh, as, as training material and just a few days ago uh, sent out uh, some material talking about food service and, and though it was most specifically intended to um to uh, address, you know, the, the the chefs that are helping us. Uh, I also sent it to all of our guides, and and because uh, it uh, some of that, you know, also relates to just some basic uh, customer service strategies. Right. And uh, but uh, but food safety, um, food quality, um, it's all a very important part of the, the camp experience. Yeah, graciously you've included me in some of those emails, and I so much appreciate that. I'll tell you for a lot of different reasons. Uh, let, let's get back to the, the hunting side of things for just a little bit, and then I want to come back to Hank. <laughs> Hank, but but on the hunting side of the thing, uh, tell me what all hunts you you offer. And I know that some hunts in particular seem to be sold out, and there's a waiting list on right, some of those sure. as well too. But some of the the hunts that you have available that will be available hopefully this next year as well too. Yes, uh, and all the hunts that we actually outfit ourselves. That we're physically involved with um, and market uh, are all here in Texas now. We've done a lot of stuff in some other states and other countries over the years, but right now everything that uh, that we're involved with is right here in Texas. So, um, you know, whitetail deer is is what we really kind of built our our business model around. It's not as big of a part of our business as as it once was. Um, but whitetail deer, uh, desert mule deer in West Texas, free range elk out in West Texas. Pronghorns out west, um, 
we do a good you know a good many spring turkey hunts uh, during uh, March and April um, some dove hunts um, <laughs> we've scaled our dove hunting back a little bit just because of the ephemeral nature of, of these birds and I just don't like <laughs> Uh, speculating on whether or not we're gonna gonna have <laughs> yeah. those animals available in, exactly. in the last two years they've been particularly <laughs> ephemeral and uh, so we've scaled that back a bit um, uh, and then we do a, a variety of different exotics our, our, our nail guy antelope uh, we do more nail guy antelope hunts now than what we do anything else including really? white-tailed deer and uh, but, uh, but we're fortunate to, to have access to uh, a few of the best Nilgai properties in South Texas. No doubt, you do. They and, are the um, best. We do quite a few free-range odd-edge sheep hunts out in West Texas, doing fabulous, 25 fabulous to 30 hunt. sheep oh hunts a gosh. year. And, um, and then some of the other exotics, uh, scimitar horned oryx, addicts, uh, have a hunter that I just booked uh, yesterday evening that's coming down later this month for a, a Bisa oryx hunt. And uh, but uh, so that's kind of the entree of, uh, of different kinds of hunts that we offer, and, and we've tried to we've tried to maintain some variety for multiple purposes. One is, especially with the exotics, it, it allows us to basically broaden our effective income period um, through the course of the calendar a bit better, like that. And uh, but two, uh, we've found that. If we have a client that um, comes down and hunts whitetails with us and wants to um, to do a mule deer hunt, if we can if we can keep him in our circle, it's it, it enhances our ability to retain his business from here forward. Exactly. And right. uh, whereas if we if he goes and does that hunt with someone else, then that relationship may be more binding with that that other outfitter, and uh, so we may lose his business kind of prematurely because we weren't able to kind of keep him uh, within our circle of what we could offer. So, Yeah, with the hunts that you offer, you could spend numerous years <laughs> and not ever cover every one of the species that you have available. Kind and of by the time you complete the circle, it's, then it's time to start again. Start, absolutely. <laughs> now, one of the things that you do, too, through... Your background, wildlife biology. A lot of these ranches, you too, or have a hand in the management of the habitat and of the animals as well, too. Right. right. Yeah, and that's one of the things that uh, since since day one that we've tried to build into our business model that that um, that we felt like would kind of allow us to have a little bit of a leg up on the on the competition was not just providing. A service to the landowner that related to you know the marketing and the uh, and the fulfillment of, of um, taking care of those hunts but also providing some other technical assistance uh, with their natural resource program and uh, and, and and that's grown over the years um, you know we've we've started a couple other businesses along the way uh, we started a company called wildlife consultants uh, about six years ago Ruben Cantu who was the regional director with the Parks and Wildlife Department out in that area of West Texas. Uh, when he retired, he and I started uh, that LLC. And so, and with that, we're, we're, we're typically working with properties that we're not even involved with their right. hunting program. Right. We're just providing, uh, just providing a service you know, technical to guidance. Right. And, uh, 
And then more recently, uh, Terry Anderson, uh, who's a nine-fingered redneck from East Texas. But he's Einstein's mark. And, uh, but, uh, but he and I started a company uh, two years ago called Conservation Equity Partners that uh, primarily deals with environmental mitigation and forestry management, and he runs that and does a great job with it. Yes, and, sir. Uh, and we've been able to hire a couple of couple of uh, additional employees over the last year that uh, are bringing some you know some capacity and reach into into that that circle so yeah it's uh being able to roll uh, some of the natural resource management uh, services into what we're doing with our hunting programs it's uh it's been a good um, it's been a good mix a good recipe really has. You guys have been so very successful in so many different ways and, and will continue being so, there's no doubt in my mind. Greg, if somebody wants to come hunt with you, the sure. best way to contact you is by doing... Yeah, just go to our website. That's the easiest way to remember, wildlifesystems.com. Wildlife Systems is the name of the company. Just just Google Wildlife Systems and you'll find uh, our website and then it's got the contact information on there that you can either email us or give us a call, either one. If you're looking for a hunt, if you've never hunted Texas or if you've hunted Texas all your life, I'll tell you what, you need to get in touch with Greg in uh, Wildlife Systems because the hunts that they offer, the people involved, the animals, the habitat, the food is there it's nobody's better at it nobody's better thank at you it. and appreciate that comes from experience of hunting with you by golly not just from somebody that. telling me that's the case <laughs> which i have a hunt coming up with you not too very that's right well not maybe what a couple months at the very most yeah, uh, almost uh, a month i guess at this october point october the third yes <laughs> uh back to hunt pronghorn antelope i shot a boonie crockett on that property last year and uh I don't know that I'll shoot another one, but at the same time, that is such a great ranch, and I love that part of West Texas out there, so I'm yeah. really looking forward yeah. to getting back and that out herd's there. A, it's an amazing conservation success story that follows that particular herd there, so to me, yeah. that, that makes it even more neat. So. We'll, 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 do a, we'll do a separate podcast on that, because that is a true conservation story, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes. Before we leave these folks, tell me about Hank one more time. Oh, did I not tell you about <laughs> not Hank? Not yet, but I knew we were going to get there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, you know, I've been blessed beyond measure to to, to have a... Greg likes to hunt, too, <laughs> by the way, if you haven't guessed. And uh, and I do, and I've taken some, you know, some, some neat animals over the years, but... Um, Myself and a couple of other guys have a just a personal mule deer lease out in West Texas, and and um, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to take a, a mule deer this last year that he's a new state record, and uh, and as best I can tell, uh, I think he's the second largest mule deer that's been taken in North America since 1987. Wow! And, uh, so just a remarkable deer. Uh, I, I never have been one to get into numbers as far as score and right. to dwell on that much but but in a case like this it, you know it's hard not to, to really deserves get, it. that's the way that i look at that i mean this buck called hank deserves that kind of recognition yeah yeah and he um he ended up um netting two 292 and some change and uh so and and he grosses if you give him his full spread credit he grosses a bit over 300 inches so yeah just a remarkable deer and it's a deer that uh 
hunted them the year before unsuccessfully and uh thankfully <laughs> yeah, thankfully and then uh actually got pictures of him the year before that uh, when we feel like he was probably a four-year-old and he was a remarkably big deer as a four-year-old we got three pictures of him never saw him on the hoof and then that that next year when we feel like he was he was probably five he he blew up some more and uh and he was he was about a 240 inch mule deer that that year and and we decided if we saw him we were going to go ahead and take him we'd love to to get those deer out there up to six but uh but we just felt like you know it's low fence country and there's a lot of things that can happen to a deer a lot of predators. mountain lions out there Absolutely. and uh they sometimes get sick um so we decided um, that year, if we, you know, had an opportunity to take him, we would we would take him, and and he made it through that that season, and uh, and this this year he really blew up uh, this past year, which was really quite remarkable in many ways, including we didn't have our first major rainfall event on that ranch until the first week of September. Going into September, we'd had less than two inches of rain, and. Uh, so for a deer to perform that well in that kind of harsh, brittle environment uh, where the monsoonal rains didn't come until September, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me that, uh, that the deer, you know, uh, you know, grew that kind of set of antlers. And, uh, you know, when we, and, and we, got, we got quite a few photos of them, particularly back when it was, it was still dry, you know, in the late part of summer, uh, some over over water and some over feed but um in the first few photos i i got of that deer last year was in uh, i think the first pictures were like july the 11th and uh, and some of those other bucks that we had pictures of were much further along than that deer in terms of percentage of antler growth now and i, I was really kind of let down i looked at him was like oh hank's not going to do it this year you know he's He's, he's, he's not going to put on, you know, the kind of headgear that he did the previous year. And then about two weeks later, uh, we got some more photos, and I was like, holy crap, you know, look, look at this. And then about two weeks later, I was like, oh, my gosh. He, he's not only going to do it again, but he may, uh, he may be as big of a mule deer that's ever been grown in this state. Yeah. And, and, he, and he was. And he was, and he, he is, and he was. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I'm just very fortunate to be able to uh, to take an animal like that, uh, a deer of many lifetimes, and and I've tried to make this point, you know, every opportunity that I can, that I I, I understand how unique and how rare and how special an animal like that is. Yes. And so I try to make people know that I I see that and I appreciate that because there's some people. We've had a lot of hunters come through camps that take some remarkably nice animals that, that really don't know, you know, what they've done in no, terms of the no. uniqueness and the rarity of the animals that they've taken. So uh, I fully, you know, uh, understand that and appreciate it and uh, just very thankful to have taken an animal like that. Well, I'm just thrilled for you that you did. <clears throat> to me, nobody better could have taken an animal like that <laughs> well, than with y'all. You should. <laughs> no. uh, my, my claim to fame in all this is, is we were at the Dallas Safari Club convention in January, and Greg was my roommate. And while he was there, we had another roommate with us. That was Hank, the antlers and skull of Hank, that slept on the same bed with Greg. And then during the daytime, he had, that's when he was officially scored in my room where I 
our room. That's actually, right. At the DSC convention to come up with what the so sound you, story. You were so, part of the part yeah, of the story. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I told you the story that I shot my first mule deer out there, probably about two miles away from where you shot Hank, maybe three miles, kind of thing. So uh, having to be able to go out there with this past year and shoot an old mature deer that had been around for a long, long time. <laughs> Not big in the antler development, but certainly big as far as as big a trophy as I've ever shot when it came to music kind of thing. But thank yeah. you for allowing me to do that. And, and oh, uh, yeah. one of these days, I want to run back out there and just do some photography work. Sure. There, there, there's some real nice photo opportunities yeah, out there, there for, for mule deer. There so, are. Yeah, really. And hopefully, you know, Hank passed on some. I know Greg, you've taken some really good deer prior to Hank that were outstanding. And mm-hmm. I got a feeling they're going to be. Maybe not quite to the score-wise of Hank, right. but I've got a feeling there are going to be some more big deer show up on that particular part. Yeah, I hope so. I hope, I hope so. And, uh, but, yeah, I've been, you know, as much bad luck as I've had with leopard hunting, uh, I've had that much good luck with, with mule deer. I've, I've been that's, a, that, that's really a pretty good trade-off. I'm okay. With, I'm okay. I've, I've taken four, four deer in Texas that, uh, that gross over... 200 inches so uh so yeah it's just again i i, I count my lucky stars to been able to do that because you know those 200 inch mule deer they're just you know they're they're rare as hen's teeth literally yes and, i'm uh, still looking for one many <laughs> many many years hunting the thing yeah no it's you know but but no i've been very fortunate in that that regard so well, I'll tell you what, I hope that I, I hope that there's one out there bigger than Hank. I hope he's on the property that you're hunting. <laughs> and I hope that you're, I'm not going to hold my breath. No, I'm not going to do that either. But, you know, there is that kind of hope, and, you, and very likely could be. There could, in the next year or two, there could be one that shows up that does net over 300. Kind yeah, of thing. no, we'll, uh, we'll see. Those, those deer we'll have a genetic potential, and you guys are handing hand, handling the range management as well too so there's there's food available and water available mm-hmm. now and uh, no telling what'll show up there yeah no that's what keeps the mystery of magic in it that's well I'm not going to wait to bring you back on again to the podcast until you shoot one bigger than Hank <laughs> I can tell you that right now because I've got some plans <laughs> to do more than these maybe. but I just want to tell you what a great pleasure and honor it is to have you on the, on the podcast this morning and to well, call you a friend likewise Greg thank you so much for everything that you've done that you've people really have no idea all the work that you've done as far as wildlife is concerned wildlife conservation but there's some of us that do and we really appreciate your efforts and your untiring efforts that have been going on for a long time and good lord willing we'll continue for a lot longer i look forward to it (laughs) dsc's untamed heritage is also brought to you by texas wildlife association working for tomorrow's wildlife today Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Kenetrek Boots, for the trail less traveled. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Pyramid Air, your one stop for everything air gun. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.